welcome to this edition of Labor Vision. I'm Bob Delaney, Executive Director of the Institute for Labor Studies and Research. Labor Vision, a production of the Institute, focuses on topics of importance to working Rhode Islanders. We hope you enjoy this edition. Welcome to this edition of Labor Vision. I'm your host, Bob Delaney. Last spring, Johns Hopkins released a report that was critical of the Providence Public School System and asked for a number of changes. My guests in this show are here to discuss exactly that. I'd like to welcome Mary Beth Calabro, the president of the Providence Teachers Union. Dr. Colleen Callahan is the director of professional issues for the Rhode Island Federation of Teachers. And Frank Flynn is the president of the Rhode Island Federation of Teachers and a vice president for the American Federation of Teachers as well. Mary Beth, I'd like to direct the first question to you. When the report came out, mm -hmm. it did cite a number of concerns and it asked for some changes. What impact would that have on the Providence Teachers Union? Um, so when the first uh, report came out, um, the Providence Teachers Union was recognized in the report. Um, the contract was recognized also as being part of the um, concerns that plagued, if you will, the Providence School Department. Um, so one of the things that we did in terms of the union was to hit the ground running and start working towards finding ways in which we could engage um, to change Providence Public Schools. We had conversations, or I had conversations with um, the commissioner and um, before she actually started, and what we discussed was the fact that she would be looking for um, the Providence Teachers Union to have more uh, student-focused ideas and um, articles in the contract, which was um, different than things that had happened to us in the past. In the past, during negotiations, we had been told that um, we don't represent kids and that we should stay in our lane, in our lane being benefit salary and working conditions. Um, with that being said, I, I welcomed the change um, and the opportunity to be able to enter um, our ideas, our thoughts, and our um, goals into for students into a collective bargaining agreement because we hadn't been allowed to do that in the past. Recently, you held an all-day forum that yes. was made up of members of the union, families, community members. Mm -hmm. What was the purpose of that, and where, where do you hope to go with it? So when the commissioner started her listening tour, um, initially, uh, you know, relatively soon after the report came out, um, we went to the listening tour um, to listen to families and students, and um, we heard a lot of um, families saying that they didn't feel welcome, that they didn't feel part of the process. We heard our students saying that they felt like they were being dismissed. Um, in, but in also listening to them, we heard things that we had tried to fight for and we heard things that we were also interested in, you know, physical plant issues and, and students being upset with the, the physical plant and then the building or the, the brown water or the lack of supplies. Those are all things that we too were interested in. And, um, you know, by design, those um, sessions were allowed to let us all see and hear from a parent and student perspective what they feel they need to help us make our schools better. 
And so one of the things that we took away from that as an organization was that we have not done a good job in engaging community, and we have not done a good job in engaging parents, or students for that matter, and that we needed to do better. And so we spent the lion's share of the summer and early fall working on ways in which we could engage families at a, at a different and better level and, and community in our students. Um, so the first thing that we did was in October, we had a family event where we gave books away. It was with, in conjunction with First Student and um, the RIFT and the AFT. Um, and we had uh, a national speaker, the president, I believe he is, of NABE, the National Association of Bilingual Educators, come and speak. Um, and we had workshops for parents and we had workshops for teachers um, on multi-language learning. So um, we thought that that was a good start to um, beginning to engage families and, and reach out to families. And then at that, after that, in the conclusion of that event, which you know, takes a lot of planning, we decided that we were going to do another event and that was what we were doing on the 29th. But this event was different in that um, for the first time in our history as an organization, we were going to go to the community, to parents and to our students and find out what they think we could do and add to our collective bargaining agreement to improve our schools, um, improve student success, make people feel more welcome. So that was the purpose of, of Saturday. Um, we brought national experts from around the country on English language learning, we, um, on um, community schools, and uh, we brought the national president in to have a conversation about how serious we are um, both at the local, state, and the national level um, in listening and doing things that are in the best interest of children to improve our schools. Now, I know that, you know, as the, this interview goes on, um, the videographer will post a number of pictures that, that reflect the events that you did with the, the turnout of teachers and community and other professionals. Uh, let me turn to you, Frank. This is obviously an issue that is close to the national and the local and the state union. I know that the union has, from Mary Beth's comments, really adopted some serious responsibility about looking at the issues and what could they do. What has the Federation of Teachers and the American Federation of Teachers in Washington, because I know Sandy was, or Randy was here, um, what have they done in terms of this particular event and in addressing the reports the issues that came from the John Topkin report. Sure, so um, the Providence Teachers Union is an affiliate of the Rhode Island Federation of Teachers, which is also an affiliate of our parent organization, the American Federation of Teachers, of which Randy's the president. Um, and Randy's a very dynamic leader. She works nationwide to support all of our members, uh, 1.7 million members, and she's, uh, she touches many of them throughout her activities. She's uh, truly a tireless worker. Um, so Colleen and I have been working uh, with Randy and the AFT uh, team as well as Mary Beth since this report came out. And we recognize that um, obviously Providence Public Schools has many significant challenges and we think that it was really an opportunity for us to reflect on what that report says and what we can do collectively to move forward and use that as a vehicle to make change that supports the students, the teachers, and the community. 
Um, so Randy's had a great deal of experience with issues like this. Uh, unfortunately, this isn't just a Providence problem. It's, uh, it happens in many, particularly our urban and older communities. Um, and uh, Randy came in to, uh, and the theme was, let's create the schools that our students deserve. And, and one of the things that she's learned in all of her experiences is you have to do it collaboratively. In any of the places where these efforts have been tried, um, they don't work unless all of the stakeholders are brought to the table and, and given an equal share and, and their voices are heard and their in, input is collaborated into the plan. That's the only way that this can be successful. So um, Randy's been outstanding. Uh, she has brought uh, not only uh, herself personally in engaged in this, but she's brought the resources and her staff to do this. Uh, she's uh, also um, given us an opportunity to go visit people. And, and what we've done is um, we know that places where this has been successful, like LA and Chicago, they've used their contracts as a vehicle to make change that respects what the teachers want, what the community wants, what the parents want to improve the lives of our students. And that's really important. So uh, there are, Randy, in her comments that she made, she talked about the four pillars, the four things that are essential to this plan. And one is the well-being of the children. The second was uh, uh, empowering and supporting powerful learning, building teacher capacity, and fostering school and community collaboration. As Mary Beth said, we hadn't done a very good job of that. This was the first step in getting people together so that we can create these uh, partnerships and this respect of one another and this uh, like-mindedness that we know that we have to do this together for the benefit of our students. So, um, and what we've done locally, and, and uh, Saturday it was the first attempt to do this, and we're gonna learn from what we did Saturday. We had a very good reflection at the end of that day that we got impact from the people that were involved uh, that will uh, give us uh, a, a roadmap to move forward but we brought in different people both locally and nationally to start that conversation we brought uh, Quessy Rollins for the Institute for Educational Leadership, and he was talking about breaking down the bar racial barriers and stereotypes that uh, prevent uh, us from engaging appropriately. Um, we brought Jessica Tang from the Boston Teachers Union, who uh, told us all about all the engagement activities that they did and the strategies they used to get more community involvement. Um, we had Ron Beaupre from Pawtucket talking about how to successfully create community schools. Uh, we had Tina Collins from uh, the United Federation of Teachers in New York who came and talked about the Bronx plan which was similar it was on a different scale of what we're trying to do in Providence. And then we had some other folks uh, uh, Katrina Robinson, uh, who came in and talked about a program design for uh, multi-language learners or ELL services and what we need to do in order to ramp that up. Those are all issues that will help Providence move forward. So it was a wonderful day, very successful. Um, we, we hope that we'll be able to support this going forward and learn from what we learned so that we can transform Providence schools to be what we know they can be and what we, you know, we will work to strive to make happen.
Okay, Colleen, let me turn to you for a minute. How was the day structured? Frank made reference to some pieces, but how was the day structured and how are you going to use that moving forward? Great. It was, um, it was an incredible day. We had over 400 people in attendance, um, particularly for the morning session when uh, we were able to hear from uh, the experts that Frank just talked about. But we also wanted to build in time to hear from the community, to hear from teachers, to hear from parents, to hear from community members, and we did. So in the morning, we asked the question, um, what is your ideal school? We wanted to hear from people what they thought were, in the big picture sense, uh, were important to them as parents, community members, students, teachers, and so forth. And we got a lot of response. In fact, I think uh, we wallpapered the room at the Providence Teachers Union office with the chart papers that, um, that contained all of the thoughts and ideas of the people who were present. In the afternoon, we did a more focused session where we looked at some of the big priorities, a lot of the ones that were aligned to what we heard from the Johns Hopkins report. And we asked some very specific questions and drilled down a little deeper into you know, the kinds of things that parents and community members and teachers thought were important. Um, we had a lot of input from that session as well. Mm -hmm. And right away on the Monday following the event, uh, Mary Beth and her staff and I were able to, again, wallpaper the walls in the Providence Teachers Union and color code the responses that we got because it was very important that we actually um, take a look at the things we heard, help them with the prioritization that Mary Beth and her staff needs going forward into negotiations. We got a lot of information. We're already analyzing that information. And I know that Mary Beth is set and her team is set to use that information advocating for the kinds of things um, we need so that the students in Providence have the schools they deserve and use the collective bargaining process to do that. Dave, thank you. I know that we could go on with this discussion for many or more hours, let alone, and we will have sessions to follow up um, as the whole issue progresses. But Mary Beth, just in closing, what do you see as your next steps as this moves forward? So our next steps beyond taking all the information and all the feedback that we've gotten from parents and community and uh, students is to put all that information together and then we're going to provide that to the people who um, were in attendance that day so that they know that we took everything that they said and we were serious about it. So we're going to provide them with that. We're going to have another feedback session um, and a conversation about that, those materials. And then going forward, we're going to continue to engage with um, parents, families, and students, but more in the community rather than having them come to us, we're going to go to them. I know that um, as this moves forward, we're going to ask the three of you to come back to further the conversation because this is just beginning to scratch the surface mm -hmm. on this issue. Uh, I want to take this opportunity to thank the three of you for coming and bringing us up to speed. Uh, I know that we'll be back to talk about it again. Mary Beth, I want to thank you and Colleen and Frank for your initiative in moving forward and, and, and making the changes that you all believe are important. Um, we want to thank you for watching this edition and I encourage you to follow the issue with us along Labor Vision when we're back to discuss the issue of the Providence Teachers Union and the uh, changes in the Providence Public Schools. Thank you for watching this edition. Welcome to this edition of Labor Vision. I'm your host, Bob Delaney. We're fortunate enough today to have a conversation with the Chicago Teachers Union, Jesse Sharkey, and um, just basically to have a conversation about some of the things that have been happening across the country with teachers and teacher organizations. Um, it's become pretty evident that in places like Chicago and LA, that teachers are really taking some action around what's important to students. And it's been obvious that 
you in particular and the Chicago Teachers Union have put a real focus on getting community support and families involved. Can you talk about how did you do that? That's a pretty big feat, and you had a lot of support. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Uh, one of the things that I would just say to begin is that it, we do see a movement. There's, there's a, a wave sweeping across the country. Um, you mentioned Chicago, Los Angeles. St. Paul is out on strike right now around a series of community demands. Um, you also saw in the red states, um, you know, West Virginia, Oklahoma, Kentucky, Arizona, um, a, a, a wave of teacher activism strikes, statewide strikes. Um, that were about funding schools properly and about trying to get the resources into, into our classrooms that students deserve. And so I, I, I do, I think it's an important moment that we're in. Um, it's, a mo it's a moment, it's also a movement. And, um, I, you know, right, the heart of it is reclaiming that our schools are part of the public trust. They're, they're, they're actually institutions which are important for raising up the whole future generation of our society. And as teachers and union activists, it's not our contract demands aren't just about you know winning a pay increase or improvement in health insurance. And that's important, but it's really also about trying to lift up the schools and make sure that they're vital institutions and they have what we need in order to do our jobs and educate children. How do you go about getting that community support and getting families involved? We know that AFT over the last 20 years has really focused on the importance of parent-teacher involvement and that that phrase it takes a village I think the union has really brought that village together of families and community how did you do that well I mean one thing you can't do is you can't wait for there to be an important contract fight uh, and then at the last minute show up in the you know to community organizations or groups of parents and say hey we're having a crisis why don't you come support us um, because um, what you'll see is that you know community activists have sets of concerns um, over a long period of time, and you know develop their relationship with um, the unions, with the schools, etc. Um, you, you know over a long period of time. So if you want to have an organic relationship and one that's solid and it's going to withstand the tasks potentially of a strike or, or other kinds of confrontations that you have with those in power, that needs to be a robust relationship and it has to be on an honest basis. And so, you know, I mean, I would say, how do you build that? I think the first thing you got to do is you got to listen to people. Um, you know, what the, the, what the CTU did is really early on, there were a layer of us who um, started trying to respond to a, to a school closings pattern inside Chicago. And we went out to the community groups, to the communities that were most affected. And we said, you know, what do you have to tell us? What's going on? And we actually, we spent a lot of our time learning from those groups um, and building up a relationship based on trying to, you know, understand their perspective, um, uh, really sit at their feet and try to like uh, understand what was happening in the way that, the way closing schools felt from the point of view of the affected communities. Um, similarly, you're going to contract negotiations, just go to the community groups and ask them what they'd like to see in a teacher's contract. It might seem like an unusual thing to do, but you'll, you know, if you, if you go to enough groups and you ask that question, people will tell you some stuff. And, uh, you know, it requires a little bit of an act of translation to figure out how that connects. But those are some of the kinds of things that I would do to start. 
So it really sounds like that, that relationship is not just a relationship that you use at a particular time. This is a, this is a long-term relationship. It started before your issues and it still continues in Chicago today with your relationship with those organizations and, and within the community. Yeah, so I, mean, I like the way, one of the ways I like to put it is you can't keep two sets of books. You know, your, uh, your teachers union, you're, you're talking to your membership. Well, our membership are in the thousands. And so you can't say to your members, you know, this is really a, a way to secure us, you know, a high, you know, a better raise in healthcare benefits, and then turn around and say to uh, the community groups, this is really about a way to safeguard your, your concerns about quality schools. That is, the, the demands that you make have to be the same demands in both areas. And if that means having a hard argument with your members about, I'll give an example. One of the issues that we face in Chicago is housing, uh, a real shortage of, shortage of affordable housing, um, uh, you know, skyrocketing rents. And so we had to think about how, how to translate those community demands, because those are things that people are concerned with in the communities, into issues that, that teachers um, or paraprofessionals could understand um, in their context. And so there wasn't obvious, because plenty of our members would say, well, what does housing have to do with our teacher's contract? Um, and we'd say, well, you know, if, if people can't afford to live in the city, we're not going to have any students and, um, you know, there won't be any jobs. Um, okay, fine, I, I get that, but how does that actually show up in a contract? Um, well, it, you, know, uh, you know, teachers can't afford to live in the city either. You know, what programs does the city have or the schools have to make, to make housing affordable in the city? And so, that, you know, we, we made demands along those lines, which exists in other contracts. Um, we made a demand to hire staff that would help homeless students. Uh, and that actually wound up showing up in our contract. That was something that we won, etc. But So that required translation and, frankly, argument. We had to move people over a period of time. Likewise, there's an argument you have to make inside the community about why community activists should care about paying benefits for teachers. Um, it, you know, those, those, aren't autom those aren't automatically understood either. And it's about saying, well, look, if you have a stable teaching force over time, that's going to wind up producing better quality schools, people more committed um, to the school system and, and to educating your children well. Um, it also requires, like, you know, when, when things happen that are wrong, you know, if you, if, if you got, you know, if there's a group of your members that don't, you know, that are saying, you know, screw this, why should we care, we're going to, you know, we're going we're gonna to move out of the city, why, why should we have to live here anyway? And then you're trying to appeal to people who do live in the city about why they should care about you. Um, uh, you know, you've got to negotiate all that terrain. Um, but the bottom line is that, like, the, tr the, the this is a relationship, set of relationships that can that, that can be improved, that can be made more vital. But it really requires concentration, effort, time. You know, uh, it, 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 people need to see it as important and then act like it. How does the union continue to maintain those relationships after after you begin to make inroads? And and we all know that other things can come along that become almost a distraction. How do you keep that momentum? How do you keep the relationship after that? In your case, the strike is over. Yeah. Now you have to maintain that relationship. And, and it, it's important, like you said, that you have to address factions within the union who may not agree but need to come to understand. Yeah. How do you maintain that within the union? How do you maintain it within the community? I mean, one of the things I'd say is that a lot of us in the labor movement don't think about unions as being particularly powerful institutions. I mean, after all, you know, we're a union, but we don't have like, huge budgets or huge staff. We don't have palatial 
offices, and if you compare us to what corporate America looks like, you know, we're, we're tiny, you know, we're, we're, we're a fly. Um, but from the point of view of community organizations, we do look kind of like powerful organizations. And these are groups that a lot of times don't have the money for a full-time staff. Um, you know, are, are, you know, renting storefronts or, you know, like um, don't own their own buildings, don't have a stable membership, uh, you know, working membership with the kind of dues base that unions have. Um, and I say that because uh, it's important sometimes to understand people's perception of us. Um, and I think a lot of community organizations, at least initially, perceived the CTU as being relatively wealthy, uh, as an organization relatively ensconced in power, and, um, and therefore were always suspicious that what we were trying to do was sort of like be, be okay with more or less maintaining the status quo. And a lot of community organizations are, are really threatened by the status quo, um, to be honest. I mean, the status quo is not exactly working out. Um, you know, I mean, if you're a group that's trying to organize working-class black people on some of the closer-in neighborhoods on Chicago's south or west sides, um, you know, there's really high crime, healthcare is a crisis, inner-city unemployment is, I mean, it's got record low unemployment rates in the country, and inner-city unemployment for young black males is 50%. Um, there's an incarceration crisis. Um, housing is spiking and becoming unaffordable. I mean, there's like th these organizations feel like they're losing their very basis of survival. And so your union is going to have a hard time relating to that if it feels like a, a, a tired place that people are just trying to maintain, you know, its relationships as is. Um, I really think it's a, th this kind of relationship is good, partly because it's a challenge for unions to think of ourselves as organizations that are not happy with the status quo and that are trying to build power. And if we, think of it, if we think of it that way, like, okay, what are the kinds of demands that we can make that will actually um, help working class students, that can make our neighborhoods more vital and have there be more investment, that can, that can give more rights and more power to people who are traditionally disenfranchised in our society. If we can kind of bring that attitude into the relationship, I think that's what keeps the relationship um, uh, fresh and vital. I'm hearing so many parallels between what you're talking about, um, particularly in Chicago, things that we've heard about uh, Los Angeles, what's happening in St. Paul. I can see the parallel with the conversations that are going on in Providence right now, and the Providence Teachers Union is working hard to engage the community. A week ago, they had a Saturday forum where teachers and the community and families and students were engaged in a whole variety of conversations about what do we need to do collectively to make this situation better, to improve the quality of instruction, to provide opportunity for students to come to school um, prepared to learn. What recommendations would you make to Mary Beth Calabro and her executive board and the teachers in Providence to move forward so that collaboratively we can begin that same kind of change? I mean, it's been a while since I've lived in Providence, um, so I can't tick off the neighborhoods. Um, uh, and, and so I, I, you know, I preface what I'm going to say from saying this from a distance. Right. Um, but I mean, it sounds like the first step which is an important one, which is you've got to tell your own activists and your own um, leaders um, that it's something that we're going to, be, we're going to do and we're going to do seriously. Um, then you've got to have those activists and leaders go out into the city and, and sit with community organizations, not in your space, but in their space, and listen. 
and ask them what, um, what are their concerns in the city. And then, and then try to stay open to influence about the way those concerns can come into a contract and be creative about that. Um, third thing I'd say is that you've got to go, get going early. That is, if there's, I mean, if you're going to bring a housing demand um, or a community policing demand into a contract, you, you know, you've got to you got to prepare the ground. You've got you to think about how that shows up in language. You've got to talk to people about it. You, you've got to like win your own membership to it. Uh, and the more that people can, um, you know, can touch and feel that, the better. But I, I, it's, it's absolutely the right work. It's the important thing we've got to be doing. Hey, listen, I, wanna, I know you have a busy day today. We have four of the states working together here for, it's kind of not a regional meeting, but a four-state meeting for AFT. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time out of a crazy busy schedule. Thank you for taking the time to share the information that you have that I'm sure will have an impact on what we do here. No, I, I, I appreciate the chance. And, um, you know, I, the, the Rhode Island is very fond in my heart. And, and I, what I learned about the labor movement, a lot of it was right here in Rhode Island. So. Well, like I said, I mean, you did your undergraduate work here. And graduate studies? I also work for 1199 just before it merged with SEIU and uh, New England and I, I learned a lot there uh, and um, uh, yeah, no, the, the labor movement here in this town is a, uh, is a source of inspiration and continues to be. Yeah, we're, we're very proud of it. Hey, thanks for being a part of it and thanks for the conversation. Thank you for watching this edition of Labor Vision. We hope you enjoyed it and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Labor Vision. We appreciate your input and encourage your comments. Labor Vision can be seen on this channel three times each week, Tuesday at 7 p.m., Thursday at 8 p.m., and Saturday at 5 p.m.